Broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. My name is Dean Becker. Here in just a moment, we'll bring in our guest for this edition, Arizona attorney Mark Victor, who's written an article which exclaims, legalize methamphetamine with an exclamation point and we'll ask him why he thinks that's a good idea we've tried to give money to anyone who would show support for this 92 year old drug war and of course no one's ever done it so this week we're going to offer up one hundred dollars to one of you out there listening for your ideas about this drug war we'll have the details on that at the end of the program but first up our guest on cultural baggage Arizona attorney, Mark Victor. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I practice in Arizona mostly. I have done some cases out of state, but mostly Arizona. I do state and federal work. I do uh, 100% criminal defense, and uh, I've been doing that since uh, 1994, and uh, I have handled uh, literally thousands of uh, felony cases and uh many more misdemeanor cases. Many of those cases have been uh, drugs. And uh, I have always been interested in uh, crime and the causes of crime and things of that nature. And indeed, my undergraduate was a uh, was in justice studies at Arizona State. And so uh, as I've gone through this process, I've spent uh, time talking with judges and prosecutors and police officers and uh, even drug dealers, uh, just inquiring of them uh, their opinions about the drug war and how they viewed things, and uh, it really didn't take very long uh, for me to come to the conclusion that uh, the system is really uh, being counterproductive. Mark, what caught my attention, now I don't know where this was originally published, but was an article that was in the Strike the Root uh, website, and it's titled Legalize Methamphetamine. And uh, are you serious about that thought, sir? I could not be more serious. And, uh, you know, I put legalized methamphetamine uh, as the title because uh, methamphetamine is, is really the drug that most people would be least likely to go along with the case for legalization. Um, and it's not the one that, that most people argue. And I, for years, have argued that marijuana ought to be uh, legal. And uh, one of the reasons that I've argued that marijuana should be legal is because the evidence uh appears at least at least there's a conflicting evidence about the dangerousness of marijuana people, some people think it's dangerous some people think it's not dangerous and so uh there's a contra- controversy there and it appears to me that individuals ought to decide for themselves but methamphetamine is different because uh virtually everybody agrees that this stuff is really bad um, but as i sort of moved through the justice system and talking to people and learning about things i came to the realization uh, that as a citizen, if my neighbor is growing uh, marijuana plants in his house or her house next to me, that doesn't really pose any type of a problem to me whatsoever. 
However, if my neighbor is brewing up methamphetamine in a, in a clandestine meth lab next door, that's a big problem for me uh, because, of course, there's very dangerous chemicals that are involved with the manufacture of methamphetamine. Uh, these things can explode. Uh, I've had many uh, meth lab-type cases, and uh, really the place is trashed. And so that, that poses a problem for me. And uh, I came to the realization that because of this distinction, I believe that it is more important, that it's more imminent to legalize methamphetamine than it is even marijuana, because precisely it's more dangerous. You follow my thinking on that point? I do indeed, Mr. Victor. Now, uh, in your article, you discuss two related but uh, separate reasons why ending the drug war is critical, the first being freedom and the second being the, uh, I think you said, consequential argument. But tell us about those two arguments. Well, um, it's not an accident that the freedom argument, as I call it, is first. And the reason that's first is because I see that as really the most important argument. That's the one, uh, if people really understood the what I call the freedom argument, we wouldn't even need to move past that to the consequentialist argument. And... I think it would solve a lot of different problems in our society. In fact, I think uh, it's people's failure to understand the importance of freedom that has created, uh, given rise to so many of the problems that we have in our society. And that's the one that I really uh, want people to think about. If, if, if people read my article and started thinking about freedom, uh, started thinking about the concept of individual liberty and property rights, and the fact that people own their own bodies, then that could be the end of the analysis. And as to methamphetamine, like all drugs, we could simply say, that, look, if you're competent and you're an adult and you own your body, you get to make a choice of how that body is used or abused. And we wouldn't need to move to all these other questions. And so I put that out there. Uh, I, I realize that that is not going to be uh, the most persuasive argument for people because we're not thinking in our society in terms of freedom. Um, but I sure wish it was more persuasive, and that's why I put it out there. I'm hoping people will think about it a little bit. Um, but I didn't want to stop there because uh, it just so happens that the case for legalization, if we look past the freedom argument to the consequences of it, it's overwhelming. It's, it's, uh, my conclusion is that uh, this drug war situation that we have has caused such havoc in our society beyond just the financial uh, cost, which is really, you almost can't even get your mind around how much money is spent on this thing. If you put all that aside and just look at the havoc it's caused in our justice system, in our society, with breaking up of families, it's been such a disaster that I wanted to make the case uh, in a way with a drug that's controversial like methamphetamine that could get people thinking about even just the consequences of this. Uh, we could start there, because even if they don't get the freedom argument, and hopefully they will later, if they just understood that the consequences of this, this terrible, uh, dysfunctional drug war that we have in our society, if we could just end that, we could so dramatically improve almost every facet of our society. So that's very, why the two arguments. Very well said, sir. Uh, you know, it's been my observation that I, you know, I talk to politicians sometimes, or uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but somebody's got to do it, I suppose. Yes, and uh, you know, behind closed doors, they can pretty much be in agreement with me. You know that they they tell me that their hands are tied, that uh, they're 
unable to uh, do anything about it at this time. Now, you speak to district attorneys. You speak to other uh, defense attorneys, judges, I suppose, perhaps behind closed doors. Does this topic of discussion uh, ever uh, present itself? It does, and it, this is a point that's very been very frustrating for me because I have personally uh, been back in chambers in private discussions with judges where we've talked about this, and the judges' conclusions are things like, look, this stuff ought to be legalized. I understand that, and you understand it, and people in the system understand it, but, but look, I can't take that position. And I, and I would say things like, shame on you, judge. You need to be speaking out about this issue. You need to put the position out there so people understand what's going on. We're, we're the ones that are in the front line. It's sort of, you know, for people who are not involved in the justice system and don't really have uh, addicts in their family, they're not really exposed to what's going on. They don't give it much thought. And it sort of it seems on, on its face that, well, this stuff is really dangerous and it's bad and people ought not to be using it, therefore it's okay that it's illegal. But if they were in the system and they saw things that are going on, I'm talking about things that don't even relate to drugs, things like the, the massive amounts of funds that are going into this drug war, the unbelievable amount of resources, and these are resources and funds that are being taken away from what I call real crimes. When we have real cases with bad people and they don't have enough money to send a, a down for the DNA test, uh, in a real case, it's unbelievable to me, but yet in virtually every marijuana case I've had, if I make them test that green leafy substance, they've always got money to send that to the lab to get that tested. And just as a citizen, it's frustrating to me to see uh, dangerous people in the system. I'm talking about murderers, rapists, robbers, guys that commit burglaries and assaults, not being given the proper treatment and attention in the system because everybody's so busy running around chasing the pot smokers, and, and we're busy in the system adjudicating stupid drug cases. It's sickening. Well, there was a, a reporter uh, for the Houston Chronicle. He's now retired, but he had a phrase that I think sums it up pretty good. The drug war has turned courtroom drama into theater of the absurd. Your thoughts on that? Well, I... Uh... I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's just more, I would be more likely to say it's turned courtrooms into something akin to a McDonald's drive through I mean, that's what it is. We've got courts here in Arizona that have, uh, there's two particular courts, and my firm is currently in Mesa, Arizona, and I'm going to be moving next month to Chandler, Arizona, but we've got a superior court in Mesa, and there are two judges there. And virtually every day, Monday through Friday, they have about 120 matters on the docket that they divide up. 120 matters. That's 60 matters per judge that these two judges are just cranking out. And the result of that is it's just not time to deal with, uh, to look at cases carefully. And there's a group of prosecutors that prosecute them, and they don't have time to look at cases. I just recently was uh, working a case down there, and I said to the prosecutor, gee, you're making a plea offer based on your belief that this guy has a prior and my guy says he doesn't have a prior let's take a look at it and see if he's got the prior or not because that affects the case and he said look mark i don't have time to do that kind of work on that case i just don't have time here's your offer and that's it take it or leave it bye bye and my reaction to that is you know this isn't mcdonald's we're dealing with people's lives here and just the the notion of justice and due process requires that we spend some more time on these cases rather than just process them through uh, like we're pushing them through with a dump truck. I mean, that is not 
Um, it's certainly not dignified. It's not worthy of a civilization where people take seriously their obligations in the justice system. And, and it's causing uh, what, I would, what I would call an imminent collapse of our justice system. It's just completely overwhelmed. And it's not just Arizona. It's every state. My brother practices uh, criminal defense in Massachusetts. The same issues there as here in Arizona. They're completely overwhelmed. Okay, we are speaking with Mark Victor, an Arizona attorney. He's written an article that caught my attention. I found it in striketheroot.com, and uh, he's saying that we should legalize methamphetamine. Now, Mark, uh, I, I see in your article something that pretty much summarizes my feelings in this regard, that once we legalize and regulate the distribution of this, uh, we'll get rid of those clandestine gangs. Uh, the uh, the meth labs will uh, have time and money to devote to finding real criminals. Tell us more about what you think would happen following legalization. Well, um, there's a couple of categories of things that I think. There are the things that I think would happen, that I think that we, we can uh, reasonably assume. And then there's the things that I absolutely positively know with certainty will occur. And uh, I listed six of them in my article, and I've yet to have anybody, anybody, even people who oppose me on this, uh, contradict me or say, no, Mark, you're wrong on that. And the first thing I put is, number one, all dangerous clandestine meth labs in residential neighborhoods would close. Well, of course that's the case. Um, if there were large corporations that were manufacturing this stuff in big industrial parks and they have uh, advantages of uh, economies of scale, Nobody's going to be making this stuff in some little clandestine lab in a residential neighborhood. And of course, we have uh, alcohol. The experience that we had with alcohol in this country as a good example of that. So you really can't argue with that. If it's legal, we're not going to have clandestine meth labs in little residential neighborhoods. That by itself, if we didn't have any other benefit, that by itself would be a reason to legalize methamphetamine. But then I moved on to number two. All dangerous street gangs would be out of the meth business. And they would, because they couldn't compete with the big corporations and the drug stores or whoever winds up selling this stuff. There'd be no reason to buy from some uh, violent street gang and risk your safety and pay a higher price to do it. It just simply wouldn't happen. It's the same reason the gangs aren't selling beer and whiskey today, because you can go into the store and buy them. Well, that by itself would be a terrific reason, and people don't realize how big of a deal that is, that that's a great source of income for people who want to commit huge, bad crimes. That would be over. And number three, I said every dime currently spent on meth prohibition could be spent on real crime. How can you argue with that? If we stop spending it on meth prohibition, we can start spending it on tracking down all rapists and murderers. And I often say to prosecutors, can't we at least agree that that stuff is more serious, that that's a bigger problem than chasing down people manufacturing or using drugs? I mean, how can you argue with that? I put number four, meth addicts would have no legal disincentive to seek help. And it's true. Right now, if you're a meth addict and you want to come forward and you want help, well, the, the, the government requires that you stop cold turkey. And that sounds nice, but that's not the way people break addictions. That what happens is they stop for a little while, then they have a relapse, and then they may stop for a while again. That's how that's, It's a process of quitting an addiction like that. But the problem is, if you go through that in the system, and when you relapse in Arizona, that's going to be a brand-new felony, and you'll have a prior felony, and you're going to prison. Who wants to take that risk? 
so to some extent we have a system which discourages people from coming forward and seeking help to get off their addictions. That would completely end if it was legalized. And number five is the manufacture of meth would be safe and produce a consistent product. This is a big issue today. People don't realize that. It's, when you go out and you buy something in the black market, you don't know exactly what you're getting. There's no consistency, even assuming a good faith. Uh, effort on the on the part of these people who are manufacturing this stuff in clandestine labs, they're not pros. These are junkies themselves that are using different ingredients that are, who knows if they're using the same recipe they used last time. Sometimes it's much stronger than the last time you used. There's a big problem. At least if it was being made by Pfizer or Merck or one of those companies, uh, it would be consistent. You would know what you were getting. It's bad stuff, but at least you know what you're getting. And you can't argue with that. And then number six is the uh, toxic waste from meth production would be safely disposed. I mean, there's no question, uh, and, and there are some stats in my article about the cost that the DEA has had to undertake to just clean up this environmental disaster from flushing down the toilet of dangerous chemicals and things of that nature. And again, if Pfizer and Merck are making it, we feel pretty assured that we can uh, take a look at how they're disposing it. They can come up with ways that are safe to dispose this stuff, and we're not going to have a problem with uh, little meth labs dumping it in the woods or flushing it down the toilet or something of that nature. So you can't argue with those six points, and I challenge anybody to take issue with any one of those. And then if you can argue with them, then you, you're in a position of saying, well, Mark, I agree with those six points, but the benefits that we get from keeping it illegal are so great, they outweigh those admitted six benefits. And I, I don't see that argument. I'd, lo I'd love to hear it. I don't know what that other side is. I, 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 as you have said, you try to invite uh, judges or DAs to uh, debate, to talk about it, and they won't do it in public. I, I offer $1,200 cash money to any drug warrior, as I call them, willing to come on this show. And, of course, they've absolutely refused to nibble at the invitation over the last several years. Isn't that sad? And, you know, I've, uh, I've had the same challenge out there for a long time now, and I've heard people say to me, well, Mark, you know, you're a criminal defense attorney, and, you know, police officers, they don't want to, they're a little bit intimidated to come and argue with you about this stuff because you can sort of say, look, I've represented people and blah, 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 and they can't say that. Okay, fine. But last month, I gave a presentation. I gave this presentation on why methamphetamine ought to be legal to a group of judges in prosecutors here in Arizona, face-to-face -face meeting, and I stood up at the podium and I said, you tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm missing. And I challenge you. Debate me on this issue. Well, I thought they were going to be throwing rotten tomatoes at me when we were done. Um, but when we were done, nobody had anything for me. I was blown away. I mean, this is not a group of people that were intimidated by uh, a single defense attorney. These are, And some of them, by the way, were appellate judges. And they listened to my entire presentation, and I got virtually no opposition from that group. And that got me thinking. I said, boy, if they're not going to confront me on this stuff, and that's the, the number one group who ought to confront me on this stuff because their experience is the same as my experience, then why is it that we have this tremendous government program, somewhere between 50 and 69 billion or more, depending on how you do the numbers, that it appears nobody's willing to get up and defend other than in a couple of uh, of um, unopposed sound bites. I mean, I had a, uh, the news out here came and did a TV, a little news story on me for TV, and I, and I was given a few sound bites on my side, and sure, 
they got a legislator to, to go on the other side, and the first thing out of the guy's mouth was, that's the craziest idea I ever heard. But there was no substance. And I said, well, why don't you put us both on and let us debate together, mono e mono. Let's put my arguments against his arguments. But they, they wouldn't do that. And I said to the news reporter, I said, when you run the story, my only request is that you say on the air, Mark Victor is willing to debate anybody on this issue. And he did. And the story ran twice. It ran on the 6 o'clock news here in Arizona, throughout the state of Arizona, and it was run again on the weekend. And do you think, uh, Dean, do you think my phone was ringing off the hook with uh, people willing to take me up, up on my offer? I think there's an old country song, my phone's not ringing, so that must be you, I believe, something to that effect. And that <laughs> would indicate that they're never going to call, are they? No, I didn't get one phone call. Not one. So now I'm feeling like either I'm the greatest debater the earth has ever seen or my argument is something closer to 2 plus 2 is 4 and their argument is akin to 2 plus 2 is 7 and they know the math. And that's exactly why they don't want to debate me because they're on the absolute wrong side of the issue. Their position is indefensible and uh, it appears that there's nobody willing to debate me now maybe uh, somebody will listen to your show and say that guy mark victor he is totally wrong and i want to debate this guy and by the way i'm very easy to get a hold of my website is attorney for freedom all spelled out attorney for freedom dot com they can get a hold of me and i will debate um, anyone on this issue and in fact i will debate any two or three prosecutors uh, on this issue but well, i but i'm not holding my breath <laughs> that was going to be my closing comment to you, Mark. I want to thank you for joining us here on the Drug Truth Network. Uh, it takes a lot of courage, but first it takes a lot of investigation and confidence in your information to make a bold statement such as you have, and, and I think uh, it's, it's very well done, and thank you. Well, I appreciate it very much, and it's been an honor to be on your show. It's not a holocaust. It's not genocide. It's not exactly an inquisition. This policy of drug war, hell-bent for eternity, has left more mass graves than any despot. Tens of millions of lives, not taken, but rather life potentials destroyed by our policy of drug prohibition. Prohibition promises to protect our children until they turn 17, when they become meat for the drug war grinder. So if prohibition's not genocide or a holocaust or an inquisition, just what the hell is it? The Drug Truth Network wants to know what word or phrase history will use when it looks back at this time. We offer our listeners $100 cash for the best suggestion for what that word might be. Please send your suggestion to Dean at Drug Truth. Net. We'll announce the winner on May Day, May 1st, 2006. The White House is borrowing an idea from some European researchers to estimate the true level of cocaine use. Drug test the local sewage. This is quite serious. The methodology was pioneered in Italy. The researchers, led by Ettore Zoccato, published their results in the journal Environmental Health in 2005. According to their article, Cocaine in Surface Waters, a new evidence-based tool to monitor community drug abuse. 
cocaine and one of its main metabolites were measured in water samples taken from the River Po as well as from the urban wastewater treatment plants of some medium-sized Italian cities. The researchers determined the drug concentration, the water flow rate, and the population at each site to estimate cocaine consumption in the local area. Using these measures, Zuccato and associates estimated the average daily use of cocaine was nearly three times higher than official figures were reporting. Now, there is no question, drug use as measured by federal surveys is drastically underreported because it relies on self-reports. We know from research that disclosure rates of drug use by arrestees who are about to be drug tested only runs at about 50% for hard drugs such as cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamine. That is, even when they know they're going to be tested afterward, people try to hide their drug use. If and when the data from this U.S. attempt at measuring cocaine use is published, or at least released to the public, everything we think we know about cocaine use will be blown out of the water. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. And now for another black perspective on the drug war. In the literature on medical marijuana, the phrase smoked marijuana keeps popping up, usually in the arguments against it. There's a very good reason for this, and it goes to the true heart of the medical marijuana controversy. Marijuana, or cannabis, has been used as a medicine since centuries before the birth of Christ, and is known to be not only extremely safe, but effective in treating a variety of conditions. But the cannabis plant is an herb, so hardy it grows freely almost anywhere, from the tropics to the Arctic, which is good for doctors and patients, but bad for the pharmaceutical industry. Many modern medicines are derived from plant sources, especially if their active ingredients can be manufactured synthetically and made into patentable and therefore profitable drugs. But that's not the case with THC, the active component in marijuana. No synthetic form has yet been developed that works as well as the natural source, and smoking as a delivery system, while it has some drawbacks, is by far the most satisfactory method, as reported by patients with experience of both. Hard to believe a safe, effective treatment for pain, nausea, wasting, migraines, muscle tremors, and more would be withheld from suffering patients because of greed? Ponder this, then. Smoked marijuana is a Schedule I drug, the most restricted category, reserved for dangerous drugs with no legitimate medical uses. Yet, dronabinol, synthetic THC, is a Schedule II drug, which doctors are free to prescribe and pharmaceutical companies are free to patent. A classic case of profits over people. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. I'm headed to Santa Barbara to attend the conference on cannabis therapeutics, and I'll be producing a 90-minute special for the Drug Truth Network. For you Pacificans and NPRs out there, you're welcome to use the feed, which is sure to include speeches from this event as well as one-on-one conversations with doctors and scientists from around the world who have found cannabis to be a safe and effective medicine. End the drug war. End the drug war. So you want to end the drug war. But what do you really want? The freedom to get high? Well, ask yourself this. Is gaining this small piece of freedom really worth losing the security that the drug war provides? Without the drug war, who will arrest the crack addict before he breaks into your home and kills your family? Who will ensure that you or your loved ones don't fall victim to addiction yourselves? 
How will employers tell the difference between drug users and everyone else? How will you? You can't end the drug war. You need the drug war. The drug war provides you with security and protections that are more important than your freedom and liberty. Because let's face it, without the protection of the government, you and your family are doomed. This has been Winston Francis with the official Government Truth. Besides the 90-minute special on cannabis therapeutics for next week, the Cultural Baggage Show will feature a live interview with Catherine Austin Fitz, who will explain to us in great detail the connection between the U.S. bankers and the Colombian drug lords. In closing, I remind you that because of prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of cannabis. <laughs>